It's 8pm, Tuesday, December the 3rd, 2019, and you're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste with Sharon Noonan. Good evening and you're very welcome to tonight's Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and on this evening's programme we get a taste of London's Borough Market thanks to David Matchett. I meet Olive Sheehan in the Devon Inn to find out about her family's trio of hotels and we delve into the archives to get a reminder of what wines tick the boxes during the festive season thanks to Ron Forrestal from Forrestal Wine Merchants. But before we hear more, let me tell you how to get in touch with me here at The Best Possible Taste. You can make contact by emailing me s.noonan at live.ie or you can tweet me at Queen of Org as in Queen of Organisation and I'm on Instagram at Sharon J. Noonan. So if you were listening a few weeks ago, you will have heard the show from Northern Ireland when I had the opportunity to meet lots of award-winning producers from the region who were showcasing their wares for buyers and visitors at a very special event hosted by Invest Northern Ireland. One such visitor was David Matchett, Head of Food Policy Development at London's Borough Market. Unfortunately, I haven't visited the market yet. Let's have a listen. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. So David, welcome to Northern Ireland. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. You're here from Borough Market in London. That's correct. Just set the scene for us about Borough Market and what happens there. Well, Borough Market, well currently the scene's been set because we're celebrating 21 years of the current retail offer. Uh, For those that haven't been, we're just south of the Thames at London Bridge and I would say that we have been a revolutionary uh, influence in food within both uh, Great Britain, Northern Ireland and also within the the, the broader European context as well over the last 21 years. So is it food stalls, is it retail outlets, what sort of products and services are there within the market? I would say we're about 99% um, based on food retail, but we also have got um, a borough market store, which has got merchandise that we sell uh, to the general public. Um, Just recently, we have launched um, an online and click and collect delivery service. Um, There's a couple of other uh, stall holders there that um, sell flowers. You can buy some flowers, you can get some plates and cutlery. Um, So it's basically there for everyone that uh, shares our love and interest in food and food of the highest quality. It sounds like it's the sort of place where there's a fabulous atmosphere whenever you go into it. The buzz of Borough Market is um, only comparable to what I would say the buzz of Belfast and the crack that we get in, in, in Ireland. I think that that's very, very much part of our spirit and this, you know, the idea of conviviality and enjoying company and enjoying each other's, um, enjoying each other's stories as well is very, very important to us. So uh, very much, yes, that atmosphere is, I think, one of the things that 
mix is quite unique. If you look at the profile of the people that visit the market, is it a good mix of locals and tourists? We get a huge mix. It depends on the time of the day. So if you're there between sort of 8 o'clock and 10 o'clock, you know, in in the mornings, you get people on their way to work. Uh, Between 10 o'clock and 12 o'clock, you would get people maybe who have left the children off to school and come in for a cup of coffee and do their shopping. Um, Then around 12 o'clock, you would get local workers coming in to buy something for their lunch that they can take back to their desk and also visitors to London, visitors to, um, you know, the local hospitals. So we get a full mix of people. It's very difficult to define the the actual demographic of Borough Market because it actually changes so much on a day-by-day basis, even an hour-by-hour basis. So there are times whenever it may be more conducive to um, shopping than others. Saturday afternoon is the time whenever a lot of, we get a lot of visitors. But having said that, it's also the time whenever, um, you know, I'm a local to the market as well. So it's the time I go because that's whenever I pick up all the best bargains on a Saturday evening. Absolutely. (laughs) And it's not just about the retail offering. Sometimes you have pop-up type events and special events. Tell us a bit about those. Well, not even just the pop-ups, but we're very committed to engagement and our connection with our community. Borough Market's quite unique in that it's a charitable trust that's run by a group of trustees. Um, and So it's not actually owned by anyone, but it's owned by everyone. And our, our mission is to provide a market for the public benefit. So engagement with all aspects of our community is very important to us. So as well as the pop-ups like we have had from um, Taste of Wales, from Food Northern Ireland, um, on an ongoing basis we have uh, a regular demonstration kitchen um, which takes place every Tuesday, sorry, every Thursday and Friday where chefs come and show um, the public how to, how to use some of the ingredients and how to make absolutely delicious dishes. There's also a cookbook club um, where local people can come and again um, bring their dishes, have a chat about food, um, connect with, with, with other people in the area. So, you know, our social function is very important as well. There's a cookery school, there's a butchery school. Um, we're working on a lot of initiatives to actually extend our reach and to really enforce um, the place of a market as a place to connect because there's always a big focus on the retail element of it. But, you know, historically, the old agoras were places that people came to connect and talk um, and, and, and meet up with each other. And that really hasn't changed. I think that that's what separates us from a lot of the retail experiences, which are a lot less direct than what you would get at a market. It sounds like engagement from the public is very important to you. And it reminds me a bit of the Limerick Milk Market. I live just outside Limerick, but on a much bigger scale. Mm. Well, it's the one thing I always envy. It always feels a lot more manageable in smaller places. And, um, you know, recently I was over in a market in uh, near Izmir in Turkey. And, um, you know, the market was just, there were like 200 stalls. It was phenomenal size. But everybody was selling their own produce at this place. And the buzz and the connection of people talking and probably doing a bit of gossiping as well, no doubt. But um, this whole place where you actually feel like you're part of something. And that's what we are really putting our focus on at Burr. So what the spirit of what you have at the Limerick Market, I would hope that when you would come to Burr, you could find part of that spirit as well. I'm sure it's, you know, it's somewhere I have. I have never visited, but it's definitely on my list. Well, you, so yeah, you must let me know when you come. I'll, I'll give you the insider secret tour. <laughs> Absolutely, I'd love that. You do get out and about a lot yourself. You mentioned Turkey there. You mm. were in Dingle last year at the Blossom Aaron Awards, and here you are. Fantastic uh, festival down there. And how important is it to you to get out and about and to meet people outside of the market and to visit other markets? 
it, it's of vital importance to us because, again, one of the roles that I think the borough market plays, and it's like an, in a contemporary situation where, you know, borough was nearly dying a death. It was an old wholesale market that um, the traders left because uh, the infrastructure meant you couldn't bring articulated lorries, and this was going back to, you know, late 1990s. So. Um, the retail part of this market became part of the the, 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 the reinvigoration of it again. Um, so we play this a very, very important role as a beacon for how positive development with markets is a very good thing within a locality. Um, you have to take everybody on board with you, and that's always going to be a struggle. But getting outside and seeing what else is going on, um, you know, I always find almost like a little bit of envy whenever I see people that are maybe more at the beginning of the route um, rather than where we are at the moment, because it always makes it look a bit easier. But it's not. You know, the challenges are there. But then you also see how people have got a different perspective, and that's always something that we can bring back. So, uh, you know. I, I always have, uh, I think, a view of what I can learn from a situation rather than what we can teach, although we do share information, and that's very important. But as part of a, an organisation called the Magnificent Seven, which we were founder members of, of a number of markets throughout the world, um, which include, now let me see if I can get the seven, um, the Boccaria in Barcelona, uh, the Berlin um, Markthall 9, where I just was at the weekend, um, Pike's Place in Seattle, um, the Central Market in Budapest, um, <laughs> getting very close, uh, also got the uh, Victoria Market in Melbourne, Fish Market in Sydney, and there's one other that escapes me just at the moment. Did you mention Lisbon? Is it one of them? Lisbon no? isn't, no, that was a new, that, that market was a new development, the, the Riviera Market is what you're talking about. Um, yeah, I've, I, I've been there, it's a very different type of um, uh, development that took place now. They're not one of the M7 as yet, but of course we're always looking. We'll have to try and get the Limerick milk market into Absolutely, that. Absolutely, <laughs> definitely. Well, I mean, I think it, the, it, it's um, the, the, the English market in Cork, I think, is another example. But just going back, I think that one of my favourite uh, food events definitely was the Dingle Festival, um, where it was just like, the, the crack was 90, as I said, and it was just like that weekend was a revelation. It's just amazing to see how, you know, I mean, I'm sure you can tell by my accent, I'm from these shores, um, and I left 30 years ago, and, uh, you know, it's just that the the, the, the love of food and the newfound interest and, you know, the best produce in the world. I've no hesitation in saying that. But actually where I can see people really starting to enjoy and celebrate and see how that this, um, you know, identification with a new food culture is, is just absolutely amazing. It brings us all on the same table, so to speak. So, you know, it's, it, it, it's great to see that and it's great to feel part of it as well. And when I met you in Dingle last year, you were on a panel where they were talking about the, the market culture and everything and you know that sharing of information is invaluable and it's a gift that mm. you were given to the audience then. Oh that's that's very nice to, to know that but we also, um, I think that, that that's one thing and when it is um for a market's also available for uh, financial for, for consultation as well, where we do charge rates, uh, you know, for particular businesses as you know as well. But whenever it's, I always think that it's the um, smaller initiatives and initiatives that you where, that, that are focused on our core values, um, specifically the engagement and the connection. It's always good to be able to, you know, we, I learned from that panel as well because there were people um, asking challenging questions from what I remember, and it was always really good. I think the the, the 
the question that came up about elitism and um, the elitism in markets because of the fact of sometimes what's perceived as being the high cost of food, um, which gives them the opportunity to talk about food with values and also the fact that, as I said, you know, I go to Borough Market on a Saturday um, afternoon where I can pick up all the bargains. I'm not, I, I love doing that. Everyone likes a bargain. So, um, but I wouldn't be getting a bargain on, my, uh, on the truffles that you'd be buying at £3,000 a kilo, even though they're 3500 in, in Harrods. But again, that's part of a food culture that some people feel that instead of celebrating Christmas, you have a bit of truffle on your pasta whenever the season is in. So, Well, like myself, it's always nice to return to Northern Ireland and have an excuse like today, the showcase today, to be here and to see what's happening in Northern Ireland. As you say, the food and drink culture here, it's improving all the time. Yeah. What are your objectives of being here today? Well, it's to basically find out what's going on. Um, we're hoping to, in 2020, uh, to bring another selection of traders from uh, Northern Ireland and beyond, I would hope as well. We saw our friend Artie from Blast here as well. So, um, you know, starting the conversations to, to, to see if we can bring over more traders and more showcases over to Borough Market and, um, you know, broaden, expand the table, you know, and the conversation. Um, so it's good to learn and also, you know, it's good to learn to see what's actually happening on the ground. Um, I think we, you know, we, we face some challenge in times ahead, um, so it's always good to, to, to hear what people are planning and what they're thinking of doing over the next, um, you know, over the next year. We, we, um, but, you know, very important to, to cement the relationships that we've actually got, because uh, you know, they, we're a very resilient people. We've gotten through an awful lot um, in our time, so working together is the way forward when it comes down Absolutely. to it with everything. Collaboration, community Communication, I always say they're the two key aspects. Well, you know, a lot can be achieved sitting over the table with a bowl of champ. Absolutely, you're dead <laughs> right. And, and a nice pint of craft beer. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, come here, it's been lovely to talk oh, to you. Great you know. to catch up with you. Enjoy the day. And I'm looking forward now to that trip over to Borough Market, definitely oh. in the calendar for 2020. Definitely. I'm looking forward to taking you around. Maybe we'll, we'll, we'll do a guided tour and a walk and a talk at the same time. I'll introduce you to some of our fantastic traders. And we'll do a podcast. And that sounds good too. Fantastic. Thanks so much, David. Thank you very much for asking me. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste with Sharon Newman. very welcome back to the best possible taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and just before the break we heard from David Matchett, Head of Food Policy Development at London's Borough Market and who could resist that invitation from David to visit Borough Market so look out London. I'm coming for you in 2020. If you missed that and you're just tuning in you can catch the best possible taste on West Limerick 102 FM when it's repeated on Wednesday mornings at 8am and the podcast Podcasts are available to listen to on SharonNoonan.com as well as iTunes and the podcast app. Still to come tonight, we have Festive Wines with Ron Forrestal to look forward to. Next, though, we're staying local and heading to the Devon Inn in West Limerick's Temple Glanton to meet Olive Sheehan to find out more about the trio of hotels in this family business that has been going for approximately 60 years. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. 
Olive, you're from Lean's Hotel in Abbeyfield and you also own the Imperial in Tralee and the hotels are affiliated to the David Inn here in Temple Glandon. Just tell us a little bit about the history of the hotels. The history of the hotel started with um, Massey Sheehan building a bar here in, in the Devon Inn and then going from six rooms to its present 57 rooms. Um, it's in the family business for almost 60 years and then Leans was purchased from Dan and Madeleine um, Murphy in Abbeyfield 24 years ago, so we're in operation 23 years, and then the Imperial was bought maybe 16 years ago. You must tell us the story as to how you ended up in Temple Glanton. I continued, I suppose, in William's, William Sheehan's footsteps and attended Shannon College of Hotel Management. And one day for in Switzerland, we were in, I was in Switzerland, and you get a stay, um, a three-month stay in an Irish hotel just to, to continue education. And I got a letter to say I was coming to Temple Glanton and I had to ring my mother actually and ask her where was Temple Glanton but I, that was for three months and there's a lot of water under the bridge since. Family, husband and kids. Well there's definitely something about those <laughs> West Limerick men. I can um, confirm that also based on my own experience. Tell us a bit about the hotels and your clientele for example because West Limerick has so much to offer but sometimes it's just a thoroughfare from Limerick City to Killarney or somewhere in Kerry for example. So I suppose the three hotels would be a little bit unique but at the same time would obviously have the family affiliation the Devon Inn um, started very small and has grown to um, a huge wedding venue for the hinterland and a huge food operation also and because we we have outstanding parking here in um, the Devon Inn that's, that's huge for the business model that that, that is run here in the Devon. Leans then is a smaller property and it would be based mainly on food and accommodation in town. Um, and then the Imperial it would be accommodation and food in Tralee town also. So tell us a bit about the food and the menus that you have and offer your great supporters of producers from the region. Yeah, so for example, um, I've just um, joined the Visit West Limerick Food Series or the West Limerick Food Series and we're we're very much trying to get all the local producers um, encourage them to have their offerings on all our menus. So Leans, for example, we're now changing our part of our menu every four or five weeks and our aim for all of those menus is to absolutely support local and give a little bit of a history about the local producers that we produce um, on our menus. For example, McMahon's Butchers, Rigney's, Granola, Leahy's um, Cheese. There are new um, cheese farm producers here and we, you know, we like to highlight those as much as we can. And let's talk a bit about the breakfast because I find across Ireland the breakfast offering probably isn't as good as it should be in hotels and B&Bs and it is literally the last taste in your mouth as you walk out the door but you're a great champion for the good Irish West Limerick breakfast. 
We are, and I, I suppose it's it's a story that we don't sing loud enough or tell loud enough. Um, for example, in Leans, um, and I'll go back to him again. Toddy McMahon, he's a craft butcher. We get and he makes his own sausages and they've and black and white puddings, and he has lots of he's an award winning uh, craft butcher for these. They're all featured on our menus now. While we say they're McMahon's breakfasts and and produce and everything like that, um, just at the the food series uh, tutorial we had this morning there's an idea to produce a little bro- brochure as to who produced your breakfast now that's an outstanding idea because one of the other producers uh, Caroline Rigney pork and bacon she does an outstanding gluten free um, granola and we've introduced that into the Imperial Interly and what I've actually seen is because the offering of the granolas um, has increased and the the standard actually has increased with local yogurts and everything. The Irish breakfast is, you know, people are going for an alternative and they like an alternative and they love the Irish breakfast, but they're having the mini breakfast and the granola. So it's just changing slightly, maybe a healthier diet, but it's because the offering is better and it's locally produced and they like to see the story. It's all about the story of the produce. Absolutely. And you, you must have seen over the common years the changes and trends. So you, you say that people are more health conscious now whenever it comes to the breakfast. What about the vegetarians and the vegans? Are you seeing more of those clientele these days? Well, it's funny, Sharon, that you say that because we are now in the process of changing our um, lunch menu and Chef and I have been working maybe for the last month to cater for different trends and tastes and while these new trends are are challenging you also learn a lot about your customers and our new menu now will be available in three weeks time and we're hoping to have a little bit more on the vegan and vegetarian options because that's the thing they're trends that you you know you have to embrace and some might say oh it's going to be difficult. There's plenty of opportunities there too. So we see it as challenging, but opportunities there for the business to grow. And everybody has different tastes, of different needs, different requirements. So your front of house team is very important to you and you're very lucky insofar as you have a lot of individuals working for you that have been with the, the business for a long time. Yeah, so I suppose um, Leans is open 23 years and I have two staff members that have been there since the fruition of Leans, which is outstanding. And then we have a lot of staff that are with us 10, 12, 14, 18 years. So we're delighted. It makes my job easier and it makes the customer's experience so much better because 95% of our customer base are local repetitive business. And we almost know what a customer will order from the menu and how they like it. We have a great girl in there, Bernie, she works at lunchtime and Mary also. And they know when any customer comes in that comes in most of the time, they'll say, okay, he doesn't have tea in his milk or he'll have this salad or that salad. And you cannot buy that experience. It's it just it's developed with the business and it just makes 
doing business so much easier, but great customer confidence and repetitive customers also. So it's it's outstanding to have that loyalty. And they probably know Joe Bloggs is in a rush. He's a, he's got a short lunch time, so he needs to have his dinner out to him as quickly as possible so that he can get on the road. Or or they can probably spot the ladies that are out to lunch that maybe have a bit more time on their hands. Absolutely, and that all fosters good customer relations but it also fosters repetitive business coming back and that's why most of our business I think is 95% repetitive I say local I mean local from the whole Hilton and and just the other evening William and I he's he's one of the the lads that work in the bar he's there with me 18 years now Um, we were just saying this couple from Dublin anytime they're passing they always call into us they call into us four times in a year or five times in a year and we just know the faces. It might be two, three, four times a year, but they like the offering, they like the service, and they continue to come back to us. So it's outstanding. You you know, I was reading somewhere lately, it was Kelly's in, in, Kelly's in Ross Lair, and they were on about business and that, and it's the amount of repeat business is how he judges, judges his success. And the different generations that are coming back then as well, like now it's the grandparents are there with their children that they brought as whenever they were young kids, and now they're bringing their kids, so it's, it's a great multi-generation place. It is, and that's why you, you'd always have the little kids' menu and stuff like that, because... Most of the time, whether we like it or not, thankfully my kids are, are, are grown up now, but young kids will decide where you're going to eat. And if they like the mashed potatoes in X establishment or leans, whatever, and they like the colouring and the pencil, that's where mommy and daddy are going to go. So it's, while it's not complicated, it's, it's just identifying what your customers need. And then we are very, very grateful that we, we have a great... Um, customer base and they keep supporting us and we're delighted that they do support us one generation to the next and following on from that. The Greenway is a great attraction in West Limerick that's becoming more and more known now. Have you found that you're getting spin-off because of it? We have um, I suppose we're, we're at an infancy in the Greenway in that the Limerick County Council now have taken ownership of it and there's great developments coming from Phoenix, Listole. Uh, I assume there's plans to go to Adair with it. So that track is going to be huge. But what we would see, we have a lot of walkers coming in. Just there's, there's new signage up um, on the Greenway from Abbey Field, the railway station down there, the old railway down there sending people up to the hotel and you'll often get groups coming in from Listone or the Maggie Mays climbing group and they'll come in and say we have 20 people walking on the Greenway, uh, we'll come in for a bite of lunch or casual people just strolling in and it's, it's, it is the next thing that is going to be the big thing um, for tourism in, in, in West Limerick and we just we we just finished putting a package together for people that are doing the Greenway um, with their accommodation staying and bike hire and all that. So that's the new thing now that's that's going to be to be for us in marketing. So in terms of the future and your vision for the future, the Greenway is something that you want to capitalise on. Where, where else do you see the business going? I suppose we have to be cognizant of the fact that people are busy and they're looking for more convenient shopping so there are plans in Abbey Field to um, 
remodel the town a little bit and the council have, and the, the NRA are, are working closely with the business community to put a new car park into Abbeyfield because people are not going to walk anymore. Parking is key and what they want is they want it to be convenient. So that is one of the opportunities, I suppose, one of the challenges for Abbeyfield. But hopefully in the next year, this car park will 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 come into fruition and we'll see that, you know, people will have time and space and have convenient parking and shop in town. The other things are, I suppose, that, that you have to be careful about the food trends and all those new emerging trends and new diets and stuff like that. It's a very changing and dynamic um, industry, I suppose, the food industry that we're in, and it, it, will be, it, it will be exciting but challenging at the same time. So in the short term, between now and Christmas and maybe the 6th of January, which is a little Christmas, women's little Christmas, a busy time, um, Santa Claus arrives... Um, in Abbeyfield next Friday night, the turning on of the lights. Um, we have a huge hard-working committee, the Lights Committee in Abbeyfield, and they're doing a great job there. That's a busy night for town. And then we start our own um, Christmas specials with our Christmas dinner menu and our entertainment, and that kicks off from Saturday night as well. Um, Michael English is in the... That kicks off Saturday night. Michael English is in the church on Friday night as well. It's a fundraiser for the church. So it's all starting, really, from this Friday night, and then Michael English is there the following um, the 6th, and we're doing our Christmas parties, our Christmas lunches, and it'll be a busy time. Fantastic. Well, listen, thanks so much for talking to me about it today. It's been great to hear a bit more about the hotel and continued success for 2020. And if anybody wants to get any information about our Christmas packages or anything that we're doing, there is a link from all the three hotels, but it's www.leanshotelabbeyfield.com. Thank you very much indeed, Sharon. Thank you. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste with Sharon Noonan. Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and just before the break we heard about the trio of hotels in the Sheehan family's portfolio. Thanks to all of Sheehan and congratulations to the Devon Inn on winning overall venue of the year at this year's Brides of Limerick Awards. If you're just tuning in now you might want to catch The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102FM when it's repeated on Wednesday mornings at 8am and the podcasts are available to listen to on SharonNoonan.com as well as iTunes and the podcast app. Now all that chatting, as you can imagine, brings on a thirst. And as we're at the start of December, I thought it would be useful to delve into the best possible taste archives and find the Christmas wine interview by our resident wine guru, Ron Forrestal. So what can I say? Slancha. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Ron, you're welcome to the studio and we're going to talk about our Christmas wines tonight. Yes, uh, Sharon, uh, thanks very much and happy Christmas. Um, I suppose Christmas is a time of year where people who wine not might, might be their first choice of a drink definitely will come across it in some way or another over, over December. So um, uh, it's important to probably to find 
products that you you can drink happily when you sit out or having dinner with somebody or in a group uh, what to look for maybe that might help and we feel the need to stock up in large quantities, <laughs> I find. And the earlier we stock up, the more we tend to buy yeah, we because through, yeah. we get through it so much quicker then. It is. I mean, you have so many days, you know, where people are, are so busy. And so I always find that it's so hectic up to it for everybody, no matter what kind of business you're in. And then it just all stops, you know, and then there's the sitting around thing for a week or so, which is uh, remarkable, really. And that's when people have a glass of wine, you know, and have uh, the people calling over. How many times do you see anyone come to your house for the rest of the year? You know, it's, the, it's probably the one time when people do. It's important to have some wine. Wine's good value. You know, if you're trying to find what somebody else drinks besides that, you know, or what are you going to stock? Half a dozen different spirits or something to figure out what somebody wants. But at least you can take out a bottle of wine or you can take out a beer and offer a beer. Uh, so they're very straightforward and much easier. So, you know, you, you can be buying it to have it in the house yourself, to drink yourself and for visitors and also for gifts. Yes. So you have a few different suggestions here that can fit all different whatever we need them to do. Yes. And of course, of course, we'll start with bubbles. I think that's nice to start with a bit of fizz. Well, yes. Yeah, I brought a couple here today. Prosecco is just so hugely popular. Champagne is, is getting a little more popular again. Just the price is very prohibitive that it's it's um, a good bottle of champagne is going to cost you around 40 euros um, where you're probably getting three bottles of Prosecco for that. Uh, you're getting two decent bottles of Prosecco. And is champagne much drier? I find much it much drier. drier. Yeah, the funny thing is, that we were talking about this with a champagne company uh, a couple of years ago. They were saying champagne will get its day back again. You know, it's the it's the classic drink. It's the classic bubble. And it will get its day back again. And uh, there was a guy from, uh, from Italy there who wasn't selling Prosecco now, but there was a guy from Italy there. He said, funny thing, I don't think so, because people have got used to drinking Prosecco, which is much sweeter full of sugar, much sweeter than uh, champagne is. And he said, I don't think they'll go back because it's not it's not like they were drinking champagne, they're now drinking Prosecco. They, they, they always have been drinking Prosecco. They just don't see why. And he said, champagne is what you said. It's too dry, it's too biscuity. You can drink a couple of glasses, but that tends to be it. Whereas people can drink a lot of Prosecco. Mm-hmm. You know, you can have a few glasses of Prosecco and, and feel like it's a, a drink for the night if you feel like it. And we have these, with that in mind, the, you know, the thing about Prosecco is that once you open a bottle, you have to drink it. It, it doesn't last. The bubbles are going to die out. It's pressurised inside the bottle. And once the pressure is let out, the bubbles go. So we have these um, 200 ml, which are the smaller bottles. We have a couple of different uh, varieties, a couple of different qualities of them as well. Um, but this is probably the top-in quality. La Marsa Prosecco has a pop-off cork, champagne cork. Um, now, they're not that cheap, but they're perfect to have. Just to have a few of them, a half dozen of them, you'd get nearly two glasses, two standard champagne glasses out of them. And they're just beautiful. You have them in the fridge, they're easily stored and they're lovely. I think they're ideal. Yeah, especially as you say, if you are if you don't have somebody to help you drink or two yeah, or three yeah. people to help you drink Absolutely. the bottle and you do like to have one or two glasses of it, they are ideal for that. I think they're perfect. Um, and you know, they cost, they cost around like five or six euros. They're not cheap now. But then again, you're getting a really good product. Uh, then we have another one, which is a more uh, a screw cap version one, costing around four euros a bottle, which is better value. Uh, hasn't got as much bubble as this one would have them. And is that a frizzante that you have yes. there as well with the screw top? And that is a it is a prosecco as well. Yes, and this is great value. You're talking about eleven euros a bottle uh, from a very good producer, which is San Osvaldo. Um, it's produced in the winery, as in it's the the process is the same process they use to make pop off cork one. 
um, with the bottle being pressurised. Lovely product, really, really good bubble. But again, it needs to be drank pretty quickly. It's the kind of thing you need to open and serve out fairly quickly, within an hour or two anyway. I want to ask you about the alcohol level. Um, what it's not it? that high. It's 11%. Yeah. Is the smaller bottle yeah, the same? Yeah, it's the same. I think it's 11. And would champagne yeah. be more or less the not same, or would it be more than that? No, not much higher either. Generally around 11, 11 and a half, 12 in a very exceptions. Because yeah. I think that makes a huge difference, you know, when some of the reds that you go, it could yeah, be 14, yeah, like, 14, 15, you know, 16 in some cases. Yeah, yeah, like that's just really blue. And they the mature a bit as well, the reds. So there is a bit of concentration of the alcohol. Mm-hmm. So the alcohol doesn't go down when the reds go into the bottle. If anything, it goes up a slight bit, mm-hmm. a degree or two. So they're a real drink. And of course, the Prosecco is all from Italy. Yes, within the Prosecco region. Because that is an area like Champagne, Absolutely. it's an area in France. Then you have Spumante, which is the other... Um, there's a region which produces sparkling wine. Tell us a bit about the Asti Spumonti now. Like that would yeah. have been a big thing about 20 years ago. I remember from my, was my 18th or my 21st, that was like, let's get her a few bottles of Asti Spumonti. And we yeah. thought we were drinking champagne. You don't see it at all anymore. Um, um, it's a low alcohol. It has a relatively low alcohol. It's about 6 or 7%. I is think. it as yeah. low as that? Yeah, it's, it's a, because it has some fruit juice added and things to it. It's not a clean and clear wine. You know what I mean? It's more of an addition. And then you have Lambrusco. Lambrusco was the original thing that people used to drink. That was probably one of the first wine products that came into the country and was put into a bar. Because you could get small bottles of Lambrusco, like small single-serve bottles of Lambrusco, 25 years ago, uh, because the English market wanted them. And that was a fruit juice added to wine with a bit of bubble, small bit of bubble, and made it very drinkable. Just like West Coast Cooler for all the world, you know, very similar kind of product. And I think I said this to you before that whenever I was doing the research for the food tour that I dis- I discovered that Jeff Reed, who was involved mm. in Ballygown Water, he was the first person to introduce the little bottles of wine into Ireland under the name of Grape Expectations, which okay. I thought was a great name for a company. Yeah. Yeah, so there he you go. He's a great guy. It's just yeah. a little bit of trivia yeah, there that I discovered. Now, you have, is that two reds you have and two one reds. white? Uh, okay. Yeah, I brought, well, I suppose the reason I brought a white about it, New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc, because New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc, the sales go up and up at this time of year. Because people who normally drink like a Chilean Sauvignon Blanc might go a little more up market towards Christmas. And that tends to be New Zealand. Uh, this is Kono, uh, first Maori owned, um, 100% Maori owned vineyard um, in Marlborough. Um, it's a fantastic Sauvignon Blanc, costing around 13 euros a bottle. Is this a very light in colour Sauvignon Blanc? Are they usually as light as that? Yeah, they tend to be all that kind of colour. Yeah. The bottle is clear in that one, so it makes it has a slight green tinge, which makes it uh, look like that. But yeah, they tend to be all that colour. And that's 12.5% mm. um, and it contains sulfates. Does that mean it gives you a really bad hangover? If Not you at all. They all do. Every one of them. <laughs> contains, it's, a, I, it's so hard to get something that doesn't contain sulfates. It's used to filter it, so there's just no other. Yeah, I was at, at an event there a couple of weeks ago, and they were talking about the biodynamic wines and all of that. And I'd said, "Are those the ones that don't give you a hangover?" I said, "Look, Sharon, it's like this: if you drink too much of it, it's going to give you a hangover." So, and particularly if you mix them, mix them as tends to be the biggest issue for people. Yeah, particularly if you go drinking prosecco and then wine. Yeah, you were saying stick to the prosecco. Stick to one or the other. Yeah, absolutely. Or go onto the water. That's it. I'll take a water every now and again, which really helps. So then there's a, there's a, then I brought a Bordeaux. This is a, Bordeaux, a very good value Bordeaux. It's a Bordeaux AC, which is the affiliation control in, in um, Bordeaux. Uh, this is a blend of uh, Cabernet Merlot, Cabernet Franc, three great varieties, but a lovely drink and great, great value at about 10 or 11 euros a bottle. Great product. 
really goes well in restaurants. And you know we always make some reference to labelling and packaging whenever we're talking about the wine and this bottle looks it looks really expensive it just mm. looks like a real old exactly yeah keep it save it put it away bottle of french wine yeah but it's not now it's it's to be drank pretty young like within a few years it's not meant to be put away and mm-hmm. for your kids graduation or anything you and know, how much did you say that is 11 euros a bottle okay so these are they're all very affordable these these yeah the last yeah. one that i picked is for people who like <clears throat> the reason I, it's a pinot noir it's for, uh, from burgundy and the reason i picked a pinot noir is because particularly if you're looking at christmas day uh, it's nice to have something that isn't too heavy and Pinot Noir is pretty light because you're eating so early in the day that it's to drink a, an Australian Shiraz or something would, you know it'll put you out by 6 o'clock you'll be asleep somewhere on a couch whereas at least if you drink something a little bit lighter you have more of a chance of, of lasting the day So the three the last three wines the Sauvignon Blanc and the Bordeaux and the Pinot Noir would you recommend those to go with if you're having a traditional yeah, turkey absolutely. Christmas yeah. dinner? I'd particularly take the last one the Pinot Noir I think is a fantastic but like Sauvignon Blanc always works because people not so much with turkey but what you're going to have before it which tends to be like smoked salmon or you know some kind of salad or whatever it may be that tends to work very well with that um, but I think the this Pinot Noir works very well with turkey again I said this before it's not so much the turkey, it's what goes with the turkey is what you have to worry about. The turkey is very bland, you know, it's very, it's all the rest of the stuff that goes with it. Think about. So the mushy Brussels sprouts. And exactly, yeah. <laughs> and the heavy gravy and, you know, the um, stuffing, which is probably the most powerful tasting thing in the whole thing. Yeah. Um, and roast potatoes. And you have so many flavours going on. Um, but I think this Pinot Noir, that's a bright film. It, it's a really, this is a reserve um it's a fantastic product, costing around 15 euros a bottle now. It's a bit dear. Okay. But I think they're a great drink. And then for dessert, you do a lovely dessert wine by, is it Ned? It's the called? Ned, yeah, New Zealand one. Mm. Um, it's a Botrytis uh, Sauvignon Blanc, which means they leave the, the Sauvignon Blanc uh, grapes out an extra three weeks. So they almost whizzle on the vine, end up with a tiny drop of juice coming out of each one. But it's a very concentrated, high sugar um, uh, juice that comes so the, the, it's quite expensive because there's such a small yield out of what they do. Um, but it's actually, it's lovely. Just a little tipple of it. You know, it's not a glass. Thing. It's like it's, a sherry yeah. glass exactly. portion. Like you would have a sherry, which you'd have. The not a pudding. glass of it now. Hence, it's in half bottles. The idea is the half bottle will serve nine, ten people. Maybe. Would you put ice in that? Oh God, no. But would you serve it chilled? Yes. Not too chilled now. Not ice cold because you won't taste it. It's more, you know, like your fridge, your normal fridge that you'd have. You know, where you, people drink white wine tend to like it really cold you know where they sit in ice to make sure it chills down but dessert wine doesn't need to be that cold at all you just won't taste it and it'd be a terrible waste because it's not cheap in terms of people buying presents of wine now for christmas is there certain types of wine that prove to be very popular as a gift option well we do an awful lot of two packs and you know single bottle packs you know where you'd have companies that would um, give them out to either customers or whatever the case suppliers or whatever it may be and now they're very popular because you can basically put anything you want into them um, they come in a nice box so t- people tend to put in either Pinot Grigio or Sauvignon Blanc because that's the most all-rounder um, and then they pick a Merlot Cabernet maybe Shiraz or Malbec that's about the four really they put up now the tint France gets gets a good lift in December people go back to French product again um, and New Zealand does really well um, but Italy I think is always a perfect one because you've a nice you have a Pinot Grigio which kind of suits a lot of people and for some great reds some really nice reds that you don't see around that much and it looks like you put a bit of thought into it Okay, fantastic. Well, I'm sure you're flat out between now and Christmas. So if people, yeah, it's a great time of year. If yeah. people want to get in touch with you, just go onto the website, forestal.ie, sure. and make contact, and you'll be taking orders for the next week or so. 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for coming in tonight to tell us about those and we wish you a Merry Christmas. Thanks so much for all your contributions no every month. We really appreciate you coming thank into you, the great studio. Show. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleinte. And that brings us to the end of tonight's show. Thanks for listening and to my guests, David Matchett, Olive Sheehan and Ron Forrestal. Don't forget, Best Possible Taste is repeated on Wednesday mornings at 8am on West Limerick 102 FM. I'll be back next week, so until then, bon appétit. Thanks for listening to The Best Possible Taste with Sharon Noonan. To get in touch with The Best Possible Taste, email Sharon at SharonNoonan.com or tweet Sharon at Queen of Org as in Queen of Organisation. Bon appétit. 